first, you know, I'm just so impressed with what's happening around us in spring. It feels like all, I think there's a quote that goes, all beings are blossoms blossoming in a blossoming universe. <laughs> all beings are blossoms blossoming in a blossoming universe. That's how spring feels. It's like everything is alive, right? Including us, I hope. So we have uh, here at Owan just completed a six-day um, silent retreat uh, honoring Buddha's birthday, entitled Vesak. <clears throat> and for six days, we practiced intensively. And um, on Wednesday, people packed up and went away. And for a few days, Owan was not uh, populated by a lot of folks practicing intensively. And now here you are, uh, once again. So there's this rhythm here of uh, practice is always going on, but sometimes it's more obvious than other times. I talked a little bit uh, during the retreat period about what is called in our practice a Buddha field, or sometimes called a pure land. When human beings come together to practice, to support each other in realization of their full humanity, of their completeness. When human beings come together to help each other in this way, a Buddha field is created. A pure land is created. We are living right now. We are in a pure land. We are in a Buddha field in which these teachings are swirling are energizing us. From the moment you parked your car, walking up the steps, the stone steps, through the doors that said, please observe silence, a Buddha field, a pure land, was starting to be created. And we together, collaboratively, each one of you, all of us have co-created this pure land within which we are dwelling. We call this pure land Owan, Owan Zendo. It is, it's ordinary, you know, which is trees and grass and buildings and animals, um, pretty much any place that you would go to that has just kind of ordinary things. And yet, and yet, 
when we, it's called bodhicitta, when we galvanize our, our energy to come to completeness with one another, we create an extraordinary place within the ordinary life. And wherever you go, with this energy, you create a field around yourself in which others, when they enter that energy, there is a meeting on a very profound level, a sharing on a very profound level of your completeness, of your humanity. So here we have come together to express this. Whether you know it or not, you've not come here to become a better person. You may not know this, but I promise you, you've come here to express your perfection. Because it's hard to find a way to express our perfection. So we've got to find a place or make a place in which we can express our full humanity. And this is that place. But it only is that place when you make it that place, when you come together as a sangha and make this field within which we can practice and within which we can be fully human with one another, fully genuine and fully authentic with one another, and safe, safe to do that. So this field, as I have said, I said last week, is not a place where we come to socialize, although there is some socializing going on. That's part of our lives. But it is not, this field is not a place where we just, you know, jabber, uh, small talk, put on a face to meet the faces that we meet, as I think the Beatles said. Put on a, Mrs. Murphy has a, a, a mask in the jar, right? And before she goes out, she puts it on. Here, our faces kind of disappear. Um, so we don't come together to socialize. We're sitting in silence with one another. Some of us will never even know what we do for a living or how many children we have or uh, about our terrible past. You know, some of us will never know that of anything about one another. All we know is that we come together in this Buddha field and make it together and occupy it together for a small period of time. But then you take it out, take this big Oan place, take it home, take it to work, take it to your family, take it to your loved ones, take it to those who people you're having trouble with and create a field. Make that part of your practice. 
So it's not a place to escape either. It may feel that way. I've got to get away from the town. I've got to get away from my job. I've got to get a few hours just to be quiet. That isn't, it's part of it, but it's not what we're doing here. So it's not an escape place because a lot of what happens on the cushion is hard. Things come up that you need to meet. And so we, we can think of it as a distraction, you know, a place to have distractions. But on the cushion, you're facing the wall. This is me and me. <laughs> There's no place to hide. So it's not, it's not an escape. It's actually a moving forward to meet who you are, to meet what you're struggling with, what is in your way of full realization, of full liberation, of joy. It's not a place where your problems are going to be solved. Mm-mm. Maybe eventually your practice will have some bearing on your problems, but as often people say, my problems have gotten worse ever since I started meditating. Why? Because I'm more aware. <laughs> I'm more aware. I'm more sensitive. I see things that I didn't see before. But though your sensitivity may increase, your capacity to meet the difficult times will also increase. So the two go together. It's also not a place to take a nap. I'm so tired. I want to go to Owan and just zone out. That's not (laughs) what we're creating here. We're, We're creating a place of awakeness. That's what Buddha means, being awake, being fully present. So if you're tired and you're sleepy, it's best to stay home and stay in bed. Don't come to Oan because it's not really the place to find rest. It has a deep, eventually a deep relaxation, what we call equanimity, but it's not, it's not just zoning out. It's not like whatever. It's not that. There's a lot of misconception about what Zen practice is. It is full presence to your life, not just walking around in a trance like a zombie, like I could just, everything is cool. No, it's not, everything is not cool. So it's, it's not about that. So here are some of the things that it is. It's a place of silence. It's a time for suspending the chatter and a time for not being afraid of silence. Just such a noisy, chattering world. And people come out to Oan and it's like, 
so quiet out here. I can't stand it. There's, there's a fear of silence. But being able to dwell in silence is profoundly revealing. You can listen if you're quiet. What do they say, you know, God gave us one mouth and two ears? So with a little bit of less of this and more of this, so when we're not constantly chattering, and that chatter comes then internally when we're constantly talking to ourselves, so we can't listen to how we're feeling. I once asked my brother, well, how are you feeling? I said, what? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Because I'm too busy looking around and checking things out and talking to myself and judging. and So I'm not in touch with what's really going on in here. So in silence, we have a fighting chance to get in touch with who we are. And quite frankly, probably all our deepest insights come in silence. When we're not, uh, we're not filtering the world with our, with our talk, with our judgments, with our evaluations, with our interpretations. When we can just open to what is available Something will come in that silence that we're not expecting, that we may never have looked for. So, of course, the silence comes along with stillness. And so we practice settling down in this field like we would, like Buddha did when he was a child under a tree, sitting quietly, just, here I am, world, show me something. You know, what's out there? What? You know, this kind of innocent, childlike way of being. So this is what we do in this field. This is a field. This is a world. And out out of this field, we could be sitting under the bow tree, as Buddha Buddha did, and being available to whatever is arising. So there's silence and stillness in this field. And there's also simplicity. Walking into Oon is not like walking into Walmart. Although that can be fun, I guess. It's not driving into a big city. It's coming into a very, as simple a place, but maybe as beautiful a place. Simplicity and beauty often go together. So a lot of distractions are removed. Um, 
there there's not a lot to um to focus to to attach to <clears throat> and part of what we do when we come together is to create this simplicity so it's important that we leave a lot of the complications of our lives, the busyness of our lives, out of this field for a while. So, no cell phones. <laughs> no cell phones in this field. No keys to the car in this field. No notebooks in this field. I remember the first time I moved to the woods many, many years ago. I was hiking around with my field guide and I saw this pink thing in the grass and it looked like so out of place. It was a piece of bubble gum. I thought, that just doesn't belong here. The same can be true of the cell phone, of the keys, of the notebooks, of your purses, all the stuff that you're lugging in here into this field, which needs to be simple and empty so that we can get in touch with something other than what goes on at this, on the cell phone, on the a notebook, on the with the keys to the car. So how much can you leave out of here? You know, people who, <laughs> maybe it's this, this notion of, you know, the, the automobile club says, <clears throat> pack, if you're going on a trip, first pack, and then right before you leave for the trip, unpack half of what you packed because you probably won't need it. So how much can you leave home? How much can you not bring here just to kind of keep this field simple and kind of a different kind of experience than what you would have somewhere else? And then, of course, when you leave here or when you stand up, this, this is a field that's kind of, the next thing I'm going to talk about is being sacred. When we come to Oan, we are creating a sacred space. It's a space where some very serious, important, and profound things happen within us, and amongst us, and amongst this larger Sangha that we're all part of. So it has a sacred quality to it. That's why when we come in to the door, we place our palms together. We just acknowledge that it's, this is a special place that we're creating. Yeah. Yes, when you bow to each other, I bow to, to the Buddha. I bow to your true, true nature. I bow to your perfection. 
So we don't see each other merely as constructed selves with all these, you know, credentials and all this, you know, name, rank, and serial number. We, I bow to your completeness. I bow to, to your humanity, to your full perfection. That is a sacred gesture. That is a sacred act. And so these are all sacred objects. When we're in the Buddha field, when we're in the pure land, so we treat them as we treat ourselves. We bow to our cushion. It's, it's just a piece of cloth. But when we make a Buddha field, things get transformed. This is what happens when we take a piece of cloth and we make it into Buddha's robe. I call this process sacralizing. Sacralizing what is ordinary. Making everything in our lives sacred because we include it in our practice field. When Buddha first had his robe sewn, he asked for all discarded materials to be gathered. Things like menstrual cloth, uh, cloth chewed by an ox, um, uh, funeral shrouds, um, discarded rags. And he took all of that discarded material and made it into a sacred robe. He transformed transformed that ordinary, even uh, um, demeaned material into something sacred. That is creating the Buddha field. So this, when you practice with it, becomes more than just a cushion. It becomes your practice world, practice field, your Buddha field. And so you treat it that way. You don't throw it around. You don't step on it. When you come upon it, you make sure it's clean and tidy. It's not a, a mess around where you're sitting because that's your world. That's the world you're creating. So you, you want to, to make it as clean and clear and simple as the Buddha field we're practicing in. This is all part of that world. When we leave here, we want to leave here for as, as if much as we would leave the world when we, when we die. When we leave this field and enter into another space. I talked about Kinhin. Each step leaves no trace. Can we live on this earth? 
Can we be in this zendo without leaving a lot of trace of ourselves? That we, we, we were as if we were here. That's how lightly we lived. As if we're not leaving a big dumpster full of trash behind us. That each of our steps kind of disappears. And then when we leave the field, as if we were never here. That's how lightly we can live. That's called enlightenment. And so we want to move through the world lightly, stepping lightly, making sure that nobody knew I was at this cushion. I'm, I'm as light as a, as a feather. So, What also happens here is service. We have a service. Uh, we light incense, we bow. Um, this is a way of bringing what is a kind of invisible practice. You know, where, where is your practice? You know, uh, it's, it's in here. It's in here and it manifests out there, but it's, we're sitting in silent stillness, inwardly, getting in touch with ourselves. And so our service, our lighting incense, our bowing, is a way of embodying what is invisible. It's a way of giving form. It's, in fact, we sometimes say these are our forms, the bowing, the, the incense lighting, the chanting, the, the um, walking around in circles. <laughs> um, these are all ways to give form, give embodiment to what we can't see. And it's also a way of bringing our sangha together. So we all, we all recite together, we chant together, we bow together, we, we recite the incense offering together, we walk together. We become, as I've said before, we become one body, one body, one mind. And these, this service is a way of embodying this energy, this Buddha energy that we can't really see. So it's a way of, of making it real in the world. But there's also service that our Sangha members are offering to all beings in this field. There's the person who is serving to ring the bells and keep the time. There's a person serving to light the charcoal to offer the incense, to play the han. These are service. There's a tenzo when we have um, 
refreshments or meals for retreats. These are not jobs. <laughs> They're practices. They're part of the practice. And so, you know, somebody rings a bell. Well, it's just a bell. We would just say, it's just a wooden, a block of wood there that Georgie is pounding on. <laughs> but it's not just that. It's calling people to practice. It's with each strike. It's waking us up. So everything becomes sacralized. All the things that we see as ordinary become sacred when we bring them into our practice, when we meet them as Buddhas. There are a lot of, uh, there are kind of a couple of other S's like um, Shikantaza and like Samu, which is work practice. And we'll continue to talk about some of the basics of our practice for the next probably couple of weeks. And bring, bring your questions, bring your confusions, bring your desire to know, what, you know what, what's this about? <laughs> I don't understand this word, uh, this term. Um, we'll slowly but surely begin to refine our understanding and flesh out our experience with these forms. What, 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 what are all these things that we're doing? What are the names of these things? But for today, I wanted to emphasize how Oan is the result of your energy, your determination, your effort to make a Buddha field. There are lots of these fields all over the place. They're in, you know, could say in churches, in synagogues, in mosques, um, in your family gatherings when you go out with friends and have a beautiful dinner together, or you can feel there's, there's a Buddha field here. <laughs> or let's make one. <laughs> let's make one. Let's find, let's find how to sacralize our lives so that everything we do has this precious quality to it, has this sacred quality to it. And I want to end with uh, a quote from Dogen, um, who's speaking about the Tenzo, who, um, and some of you have been Tenzos, um, and know, know a little bit about preparing food and Make, making that whole effort of cooking uh, a sacred act. And these, these meals, offerings, 
offerings, not just, you know, gulping a food down, going to a fast food restaurant, you know. Uh, here's your Big Mac offering. You know, it's not quite that. It's, it has been, maybe, you know, maybe that, you know, that would be a challenge to make a Big Mac sacred. Uh, but it, yeah, it could, could happen. Um, so here's Dogen speaking about, about in the instructions for the cook. You must care for the rice, vegetables, and other ingredients for the next day's meals, as you would the pupils of your own eyes. Do not just leave washing the rice or preparing the vegetables to others, but use your own hands, your own eyes, your own sincerity. Do not fragment your attention, but see what each moment calls for. Do not miss the opportunity of offering even a single drop into the ocean of merit or a grain atop the mountain of the roots of beneficial activity. The tenzo should, that's the cook, and I'm sure you're all cooks in some, in some instances. The tenzo should always be present at the sink when the rice is being soaked and the water measured. Watching with clear eyes, ensure that not a single grain is wasted. An old teacher said, regard the cooking pot as your own head. The water in the pot, your own lifeblood. <laughs> <laughs>